Hey buddy lawyers welcome to the podcast I am Prasanna I do the host of the show and this episode is going to be hosted by two more Rajesh and Amir both are law students from NLU Nagpur and the guest for today's episode is Nikita Mary Abraham Nikita completed her LLM in intellectual property laws from Munich Germany she is currently interning there and today's conversation is going to be based on this topic only okay so Let's start a conversation with Nikita. So, uh, when I hear this word like studying abroad in Germany, the first thing which comes to my mind, uh, well, uh, even I, you know, when I was searching about abroad LLMs, etc., I used to come across um, studying in Germany and many other European countries. It's like free or very cheap. Uh, how much of that is true, especially for law students? Uh, let's start with that question and then we'll move ahead with other questions. Okay, so for law students, it's a little different. It is generally cheap to study in Germany, but the LLM programs are a bit more expensive than the other master programs that are there in Germany. However, there are opportunities to, you know, gain scholarships. Some of op- some universities have this option called a fee waiver. My institute had that. You can apply for that. So. i would say you have your opportunities but do not expect it to be as um economical as a masters in science program that you would have in germany okay so for other courses uh, this is quite true but for llm it is not right llm it is not for engineering it is true it is quite uh, economical compared to other countries mhm interesting and uh, you can you give you, give a rough structure of uh, how much one would have to spend if he wants to do his masters in law in germany depending on the university that i get but around the rough figure like the living costs and uh, tuition fees etc so the tuition fees i would say depends entirely on the university the living cost it depends on the city that you are in Uh, Munich, where I am, unfortunately, is uh, one of the more expensive cities in Germany. Unfortunately, so depend and a significant chunk of your expenses go into rent and other living costs. So um, the uh, the thing is, to um, you have this thing called a blocked account, which most. Uh, indian students that apply for masters abroad are aware of you have to allocate a significant amount of money for a year so i think presently it would be uh 10300 euros for a year you have to set that amount apart in a blocked account and once you enter the country you have to start a separate bank account in germany and a small portion of funds is released to your bank account every month right now it is uh, i think it's 863 euros every month and you as a student you have to live off 863 euros this should cover your expenses like rent uh, you have to pay health insurance you have to subscribe to health insurance in germany and uh, apart from that you have your other expenses like uh, like your provisions your internet bills like that but um things like transportation and all the university covers that because once you pay the semester contribution to your university you as a student are entitled to apply for a 
something called a semester ticket. So once you pay that contribution, your travel within a certain geographical area is covered. So right now, for me, um, the travel within Munich on public the public transportation is free. So I can take all modes of transport except high speed trains, of course, and a few regional trains. But this is covered for the next um, for six months for an entire semester. So that is how it is. Yeah, and uh, like I said. You have to be very, once you get in and once you come here, you have to be very careful about finding a good place to stay because that is what is going to eat into your expenses for the month. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I, I missed the point where you were saying about the funding. Who funds this? The transportation and everyone? So the transportation, you have to pay a semester contribution to the university. You pay for mm. it. You pay you pay um, uh, an amount in the beginning of the semester and then you get your semester ticket. So depending on the cities, the fees or the price of the semester ticket varies. So in Munich, I think it was the last time I paid, it was around uh, 190 euros, but that covers the transportation within the Munich city area for six months. That is the entire semester. All the public transportation is covered. This is the case with other cities as well, depending on the size of the city, depending on the public transportation plans that each city has. Sometimes an entire state is covered, sometimes just a city is covered. It really depends. Interesting. Okay, Rajesh and Amir, you all can jump in because I'll keep on going on because I like to have conversations like this. Okay, so you can jump in from whatever you have. Okay. Sure, sure. So let me just jump in right away. So, first of all, you know, why did you choose this country? So, over other colleges in other countries in Europe or in UK. So, what sets this law school apart in terms of the format of your degree and, you know, the other activities and opportunities which Germany offers? So, for me, the primary consideration was not that it was in Germany, but that I wanted to go to this particular law school for this program. Uh, I found the format interesting because there was a wide variety of courses. And the other thing is, this was well, this is one of the few LLM programs where they accept students who are not just lawyers. So my classmates come from varied backgrounds. There are people who are engineers. There are people. There are also plenty of lawyers. And there seem to be a significant number of people from the tech, from it who have a technical background. So the course structure is modified accordingly. And uh, like all LLM programs, which lasts for a year, it is very hectic. And there's a lot of material that's condensed into one year. So I found this format and I found the courses interesting. And additionally, uh, in for personally for me, the fact that it was in Germany uh, made a difference as well because, uh, I mean, as part of the student life, you also get to travel. And uh, when there are, in a normal setting, if there are conferences or if there are events, you have the opportunity if in, in, you know, in, let's say, in Netherlands or in a, in a university in Austria, you get to travel to go there in a normal, in the normal circumstances. Right now, unfortunately, everything is online as a different story altogether. This is one of the reasons why I thought 
this program would be a good fit for me. That's great. I mean, it it was a good uh, sales pitch of why you should also intellectual property rights on MI PLC. So, so basically, if I may know further, so where where do you travel basically? In obviously in normal circumstances. So, where do you get the where all do you get the opportunity to travel? Do you mean like travel for fun? Travel for what kind of travel do you mean? For everything, for conferences or for seminars or for field visits or whatever. See, uh, <laughs> in a normal setting, unfortunately, my year was very different. My experience was very different from what the previous students had because a significant portion of it was online. There have been opportunities to visit um, the European Patent Office. The One of its um, major administrative buildings is in Munich. So there's the opportunity to go there. And then there are a lot of important companies in Munich. I think uh, BMW's office is in Munich. So, and BMW uh, is one of the um, companies who are part of the internship program of um, MIPLC. You get to visit these um, offices and then you also have opportunities to interact with persons from different companies and uh, let's say, I guess this is what I've heard my seniors say, they have had opportunities to travel to uh, Rotterdam for conferences or even Vienna for conferences. Unfortunately for us, it was online. So let's not talk about that. Yeah. It pays. So everything gets, <laughs> gets back to normal as soon as possible. Let's see. Okay. Yeah. Did you, did you also have any backup options if uh, MIPLC wouldn't have happened? Or maybe you wouldn't have been able to make it through? Was there another university that yes, you were considering? Uh, yes, I had applied to NUS Singapore as well and I got in. But uh, my priority was to come here and because I like this program better. I had applied for the IP and IT LLM at Singapore. And uh, I got in there first and then I'd send the application to MIPLC. The application periods are different. I think for uh, NUS it is uh, October to December, but for MIPLC it's December to April. But I think if you're applying for the uh, DAD scholarship, you have to apply in October, which is an entire year ahead of the course starts. So, yeah. And uh, was there any any consideration of say which course is more economical while you were selecting countries or while you were selecting courses? So, uh, you know, if you were look, if you want to look at the, which course is more economical, it would be the course at NUS because the living expenses would be lower at Singapore compared to the living expenses in Munich. But I felt that. Um, for me, the people who would come to, um, let's say, a program at Munich would be more diverse solely by virtue of the fact that you don't have just lawyers, you have people from other backgrounds as well. You get to meet a lot more people than you would otherwise, which is what I've heard from um, my seniors. And I also experienced that in my year here. Yeah. Right. So what is the strength of the batch? For when I was a student, I think it was maximum of 35, 35 okay. students. 
35 students in a year. Yeah. That's good. So it's a very and, small batch. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very small batch. So uh, was was there was IP always the only option that you wanted to pursue uh, for LLM? Uh, actually, I wasn't. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do an LLM in the first place. It was always in the back of my mind. Uh, IP was one of the subjects I, I found really interesting, but I wasn't sure if um, I would get bored of it. I don't know. I mean, I really enjoyed studying it in law school. I enjoyed doing the internships. And after all of this, I thought, okay, now I think it makes sense to do an LLM in IP because I really enjoy learning more about it. And uh, I wouldn't find the LLM program taxing. So that was one of the considerations, yeah. Even I used to get bored while studying IP in college. But <laughs> when I started creating content, I understood the importance of it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I wasn't bored studying IP in college. Yeah, I, yeah. Was, I was telling about myself. <laughs> ah, okay, okay. Yeah, there are a few like that who mentioned that they don't like studying the subject. It's really boring. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> Yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, nothing. I was just uh, asking Nikita, how many times have you gone to your college, your university? And uh, just tell us more about uh, MIPL. So, um, a significant when the program started, it was it was a hybrid mode. I think that's how courses have been for the past two years. I'd say. So some of us were in Munich because some of us made it in time before borders closed and visas were available. Some people were unfortunately still back home and they were like slowly trickling in, uh, reaching the country. So the initial few classes were in person. After that, uh, I think... Europe in general became really strict with lockdowns again. So everything went back into lockdown. So the advantage for us, or let's say the only advantage was that for us, we had study rooms in campus. We were allowed to use that. So that was a good difference. So I could go there and study. I didn't have to be bound by studying in my room, in my apartment. And... Uh, my other classmates who were in Munich at that time, some of them would also come. So like that, we got to meet people. So yeah, mm -hmm. it was a very different experience from what was uh, expected. But I guess that's what you can say about study during a pandemic. Yeah. Yes, yes. Right. So now regarding, so is there any... Uh... Uh, special way in which German law schools or, you know, Munich intellectual property law center in specific, the way they shortlist people for LLM. So, you know, do they look at academics only or, you know, any co-curriculars like moots or anything like, you know, for Indian students? So one of the things that they wanted was they said they wanted professional experience. So they said that you can't be a fresh graduate, you need some professional experience. So I worked for around two years after graduating um, and then I applied to this program. So they definitely look at work experience. Uh, a strong academic record always helps, but if not, you always balance it with co-curriculars. Like if you can show publications, it's always helpful. Publications in the 
uh, area of your interest, it always helps. Extracurriculars are also helpful. Uh, ultimately, it comes down to how well you sell yourself on that uh, letter of motivation, which is mm -hmm. the case with most uh, uh, LLM programs. And yeah, uh, if you can also show on your CV that you learned German or you have some interest in this language, that would also set you apart because they know that you are willing to take the additional effort to, um, you know, integrate. Yeah. Right. So basically, apart from the German language, so the German culture would also help. So if you, you know, if you play any musical instrument and if you like Western classical music, then if you can show German culture, something like that, that would also help, I guess, right? Uh, it's a funny you should mention that because I actually did learn some Western classical music a long time ago. Maybe that helped because I could show that I've given these uh, exams. So I guess that helped and I knew some composers from long ago, but all of that aside, it just, it's just, uh, I don't know, I think you could call it the um, icing on top. It doesn't really exactly. make much of a difference whether you know it or not. Yeah. Basically, it's the icing on top of the cake, not the cake itself. Not at all. Right. Yeah. right. It's, just, it's just, you know, it looks pretty. <laughs> That's what I would say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So basically, the articles which you wrote in law school, they helped. I would say they helped, yes, yeah. They were, uh, I had one paper related to, uh, I one paper was on an IP subject. Yeah, so that was very certainly helpful, yeah. And I also tried, I also participated for a moot code competition, an IP moot code competition that we didn't qualify, unfortunately, but then it was actually when I was preparing for the mood that I realized, ah, oh, this subject is interesting. Okay, I mean, maybe doing an LLM is going to be nice. Or maybe the subject is worth pursuing. That's when you, I guess, moods actually help because that's when you realize if you can like deal with the subject or not. Because sometimes they, they, they make it or they break it. I, I think that's the case with right. a lot of people. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. When when you when you say that a uh, lot of times the subject is very taxing and indeed it is, so how how is the teaching pattern at MIPLC that makes it different from what we follow in India, or is there a difference in the first place? Like how how the classes are taken, what are the how are they teaching you? How is the pedagogy? So the uh, with respect to the teaching, I would say that uh, I mean back home at least for our classes i i didn't really do a lot of reading before going for the classes and i think uh, that makes a difference because over here i was among the i was actually the youngest student in class over here and i was with people who were far more experienced than me so knowing something about the subject a little bit reading up in advance it really helps because it makes a discussion a lot more engaging you ask better questions and i think people who go for their masters are more invested in learning and in finding more about the, you know finding out more about the subject so the class itself is is uh, is more vibrant and engaging i think that difference just comes from the fact that everyone is you know invested in doing uh, in their higher studies we don't 
probably put in that much effort in our undergraduate days. It's just uh, it's just a sad fact. Yeah. And uh, so uh, like the evaluation pattern is that you have to submit a dissertation by the end of the LLM program. Yes, yes, yes. So we have to submit a thesis at the end of the year and it takes up a significant uh, portion of the credits. So the thesis can actually make or break your grade. I mean, you have to do well for the exams. And for that, there was something called a seminar paper as well, where you had to submit a paper and do your presentation on it. But if you do well on the thesis, uh, it significantly brings up your grade. And how many subjects do you study in a semester or in a year? Okay, uh, there are actually a lot of subjects. So I would say that in the first semester, or at least in the first few months of the first semester, there are four compulsory modules for all students. So uh, that is, there would, there's a module on uh, trademarks, patents, copyright, and one module called cross-cutting. So uh, with, in every module, there will be a subject called US law, EU law. So that itself uh, takes up a significant uh, portion of the subjects taken. And uh, in the cross-cutting module, there were additional subjects like there was EU law so that you would understand the framework of uh, the institutions in EU. There was uh, competition law, an introduction to competition law, and um, conflict of laws to understand how uh, to understand the application. And um, there was one more subject. I think it was called international EU law, international IP law. Yeah. Oh. So that was a lot of subjects within the first four basic modules itself, which were compulsory for everyone. And then after that, you get to choose your electives. Yeah. So I think the basic modules itself, the subjects, there were, there must have been um, at least 12 to 15 subjects. Yeah, totally. yeah. A little, it's quite heavy. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> the academic rigor is a lot. Yeah, yeah, that way. Right, and uh, when we say of academic rigor, so uh, after the degree, after you get your degree, is it acceptable also in India if you seek a job on basis of that? Yeah, it is. I mean, you have the option to get it, get an apostle for your degree, so it would be accepted. But uh, uh, as you know, back home. If you're going back to practice, nobody really cares about the LLM. The LLM is again just the uh, icing on top. It looks pretty. If you want to work, the LLM just adds, it increases your knowledge base, I'd say. And if you want to go into academia, it makes sense. If you're going back to practice, it's, hey, it's nice to have the LLM. You know something more. And you know what else you can do with it. Definitely. That's true. So so basically, after the LLM, so what are the opportunities you get inside Germany? So internships is one thing. Then for jobs, and so apart from law firms and you know other companies, which are the other avenues which open up? 
So I noticed that, like I mentioned, a lot of people have a technical background here and it's mostly people with a technical background that seem to make it as the uh, engineering scene is very big in Germany. So a lot of people, uh, you know, become um, patent attorneys or uh, train under a patent firm to become patent attorneys. Apart from that, they have the opportunity to join um, EU institutions, mostly the EPO. Sometimes uh, I, I believe there were a couple of people who went to intern or work at the EU IPO, which is in Spain. So all of this helps. Yeah, you get the opportunity to be part of a lot of um, intergovernmental institutions. So that would be an advantage, I think. Yeah. So in terms of the internships and the jobs and other opportunities you get in Germany after the degree, so which are the different avenues which it opens up and you know what is the added uh, ad, 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 advantage you know if you learn the german language from the a2 or the b1 or the b2 language certificate um so for jobs mostly your knowledge of german has to be higher they expect in most cases when you see job postings, you see them asking for full proficiency, which is like a B2 to C1, which is pretty high. And um, over here, at least for us, the institute gave us an option where they would give us the, uh, they would enroll us as students for one more semester after the program ended, because in Germany, it is necessary to be enrolled as a student. If you're doing an internship, it is necessary for visa purposes. So you need that as well. And the internship, I'd say, is an entry point. So with it's it's your foot in the door. And with this, you can show that you've entered the, let's say, the job market, and then you can use this experience to apply further. You can probably, it might help for you to find a place within the organization that you interned with, assuming that they are accepting people this year. That's always the case, yeah. And uh, like I mentioned, a lot of people in my class had technical backgrounds, so most of them have taken up roles that are uh, that require knowledge in uh, sciences. So they were previously uh, already practicing patent attorneys back in their home jurisdiction, and now they've managed to secure jobs here as a patent trainee or a patent attorney within German law firms. Right. And also, are there any German uh, firms which have a specific India group? So basically, there are many UK and US law firms which have India desks. So is there any firm in Germany? So uh, such firms are not really... I haven't heard of many firms having a specific India practice desk. The firms that really stand out for India practice desks would be the global firms like an Allen and Overy or a DLA Piper or a Baker McKenzie. These are the firms that like really stand out. I think the German law firms specifically, they, they haven't <laughs> marketed themselves as such. You would have to 
put in extra effort to go find them yeah i i just had this one uh, very uh, i got very curious because now that uh, uh, now with the new education policy in india we are we are uh, being introduced to interdisciplinary courses like you can study science and take law or you can basically not be stuck with your uh, stream that you choose after your uh, 12th right or after or the one with uh, which you enter into your undergrad course so you can also explore other things and like in mipnc uh, like as you said that a lot of technical background people are also pursuing law so can you shed light on what all avenues are open for other streams if they pursue law like for engineers if they take law or say someone from uh, say a scientist if he takes law what all avenues uh, in germany are uh, there for them like what incentive do, do these people have in pursuing law so in germany i think these people are at an advantage because um, most of these people who uh, have a scientific background they are uh, mostly enter firms that require knowledge there are a lot of firms which require you to have an understanding or a background in engineering or the sciences and also know law when it comes to uh, pursuing patent applications patent related work and to maybe some limited extent trademarks trade secrets so the uh, i would say the technical part of the intellectual property subjects are open to them and they are i think in a better position because now they understand some legal aspects but they also have the background so they are at a they are actually at a very good position yeah and if they know the language as well that makes them excellent candidates right so yeah like you said so someone uh, who needs to file a trade secret should actually know what ingredients uh, are involved in making say a chemical compound or something like that so i mean and that model can also be applied in india and i with the new policy now i am very hopeful that uh, something on that scale wherein uh, say we, we don't just think of lawyers who pursue mba we also think of now engineers who can come and pursue law so i think that would be a new uh, horizon all of uh, you know all of a new spectrum of opportunities now and as well for lawyers i mean maybe many lawyers also pursue science in germany after their bachelor's something like that i i, I don't know i'm just i'm just curious so oh, but uh, in fact uh, on these lines uh, in my batch there were few engineers who were studying law with me they are mostly uh, computer engineers and civil engineers so that has already started uh, i guess right so okay anyway so mm-hmm. if i also ask her a follow up question so so after you come back to india now so what is in store so what do you aim once you come back to india so how will you use the experience you gain from germany obviously it is very rich so how do you so what what is your plan after you come back to india now not decided yet or what the plans are still in the making i uh, actually all my life i've not been someone who's planned extensively because nothing has really gone you know according to a plan things have somehow worked out and i've been very lucky that way so i've always uh, had a mentality let's let's see where it goes So let's see where it goes. 
right and uh, so back a uh, few minutes back we were also talking about uh, the application process at mipc and what all uh, you know like learning a uh, german uh, having uh, known to some german language or culture is is an add on to it so how would uh, like my question would be that what exactly you think made out your application stand from the ground at mipc okay um like i mentioned earlier uh, and i think you had also asked this question about western classical music i had mentioned that in my uh, letter of motivation so that was the icing i would say but apart from that uh, during my days at mols uh, most of my internship experiences were very varied so i think i always uh, it was not very I wouldn't call it streamlined per se because I was very interested in trying everything once before I decided what I wanted. So I had like a lot of diverse experiences like that. Uh, I think that helped because I was able to properly formulate uh, why I think I'd be a good candidate, and I also was able to show that I am interested in arts to an extent. So when you apply for an IPLLM. I think if you show that you have some interest in arts, or if you have some creative tendencies, that also helps. But apart from that, uh, like I said, a good academic record helps. If that has not been the case, then you use your uh, co-curriculars to balance it out. Moots help. Uh, paper publications, paper presentations. even you know, i mean over here since work experience was required if you can show that there's been incidents in your career which have been a focal point or if you've learned something from them significantly that also helps you know um helps you craft a good letter of motivation and it it makes it stand out what i noticed is that uh, most uh, most sops are rather um, they expect you to be very crisp and to the point i think the word limit is quite small uh, i think for most of them it was less than 1000 words which is quite difficult actually to like properly explain yourself and explain why you'd be a good candidate over here i think the advantage was that the word limit was a bit bigger you could really explain why who what everything but the you have to learn to be crisp which is something i think Uh, a lot of us have are yet to learn like to get to the point say what you want but get to the point and say it nicely while you are doing it yeah right i like one follow up question before uh, before i put a full stop to my questions so uh, like a what about letter of recommendations and like how from whom did you get it and uh, were there uh, a necessity of letter of recommendations at mipc Yes, uh, I think uh, I think you needed two. At least I submitted two. Uh, one was from one of my professors at Nuals, uh, and one was from um, a senior lawyer that I had worked under, especially with especially since they said that they needed you to have professional experience before applying for this program. So I think anyone applying here should also adopt a similar format you need one from somebody who you worked with professionally and one from uh, an academician or your professor who knows you well yeah right right so with this so i would uh, we come to my favorite part of the interview so we call it on your f- 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 fingertips 
it's basically a rapid fire round but we call it on your fingertips so basically let me just ask you straight away uh, any two things in your bucket list ah uh, okay so uh, one thing for sure is going to going to attend the october fest it has been eluding us for the past two years i've been in munich for like almost one and a half years and both in 2020 and 2022 2021 it hasn't happened so hopefully i get to attend it sometime and um in addition to that uh i think going to see the northern lights that would be a nice experience yeah yeah right and yeah one thing in your law school which you didn't do which you would do if given a chance again and one thing which you did do but you won't do again if given a chance again Uh I mean when I had a nice time in law school but uh maybe something if if I could go back and uh, do it again maybe uh is be part of more clubs when I was in Nuals because I was a day scholar so the and I think when I started studying in Nuals the priority was to get back home before it got too late because there weren't many buses to go back home so after class ended we wouldn't hang around your college for too long i would go back but and there were no ubers or olas at that point of time and the connectivity was not great so maybe going back in time hopefully i would not rush back home after class ended stay back for longer it would be nice and something i would not do I don't think there's anything I uh, I mean nothing's coming to mind I don't think there's anything I regret doing per se. Yeah. Right right that that's enough yeah. Suffice that suffices. And so basically the next thing is that if not Munich Intellectual Property Law Center which would you choose? And I think you have perhaps answered that as well. yeah it would have been uh, anywhere singapore yeah right 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 so and then the last thing from from me the most the most uh, the one uh, era in your journey in unique intellectual property law center which has been many very uh, hard to go through or a very uh, struggleful phase at unique intellectual property law center mm challenging phase basically yeah um nothing comes to mind per se it's not to say that it wasn't challenging but like nothing's really coming to mind right now but maybe it is uh since it was in the pandemic year it was difficult for a lot of us to find internships after the course so that was a point of uh, you know it was a source of great worry for a lot of us yeah so this constant applying every day waiting to hear back you know waiting to uh, waiting for a call back waiting for interviews going through the interviews going through rejections before getting your final uh, call that would have been i think that was a very difficult phase ah and yes and finally the writing the thesis that was not uh, as also very very uh, taxing because it's uh, 
a lot of writing, a lot of reading, and a lot of it condensed and put down in your own words. It was fun. Now that I think about it, it was, it was I, I wouldn't call it pleasant, but I don't think I want to do that particular uh, thing again. No. Definitely. It's very stressful that way, writing so many. Yeah. So, do you want to add something, Rajas and Prasanna? Any more rapid fire questions from your side? Uh, nothing yet. Uh, so, Rajas, do you have any? I, I would just want to ask you what was, how long was your uh, thesis? How many pages <laughs> did you take? Um, so, my thesis from cover to back page is 80 pages. You should not, uh, you should not <laughs> follow my example. I just really enjoyed writing. And uh, I really liked Thanks. the subject as well. So yeah, it was a very, very long piece. And and how many footnotes did you uh, incorporate? How many? <laughs> I don't remember actually right now. Um, I'll have to go and check that. But I can tell you from front to back was 80 pages that I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, printing, took a long, printing and binding took a long time. And printing and binding is all sponsored by the university, though. No, 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 it's not. They uh, printing actually was printing. I could do it on the premises. Biting, I had to go to um, another stationery shop for them to do it. But uh, it was pretty thick, so it took a lot of time for it to like get set and everything. Yeah. And then uh, there's a system where all the theses uh, get you know in a law review or in a book. Some something like that so so that you can just uh, show your thesis to the entire world that way uh, you mean uh, publication after the thesis yeah yeah that uh, way yeah yeah so they they do have that i think right now their uh, the selection process is going on i think it takes some time so it, whether your thesis gets published or not i think it depends on one the subject you chose to pursue in your thesis uh, the also the marks you got for the thesis and uh, if your I think if your supervisor recommends it also that I mean if your supervisor recommends that this be published it's definitely it's definitely going to be published I'd say yeah right and okay the last thing what was the topic of your thesis last thing if you so, if you can share yeah yeah sure the topic of my thesis was um the it was a copyright problem. So uh, it was called the uh, often works problem. So it was a comparative analysis of how, actually what India can learn from the treatment of often works in EU and US. And, and how long did your viva last then for the dissertation? Uh, actually for this we didn't, for the thesis we didn't have to defend it, there was no viva. We just had to submit it. That's it. Yeah. Okay. I hope uh, Rajesh and Amaya uh, went through a virtual Germany LLM in Germany tour. <laughs> I have your, yes, yes, your answers. <laughs> okay. Uh, so before ending, so I'll ask this one question, which I usually ask in all the episodes of Budding Lawyers podcast. Uh, please share uh, the most memorable incident from your career. 
like it can be anything from your law school in india or uh, in the law university in germany or something some incident from your workspace anything but the most memorable one i think like what uh, because we were talking about the thesis at least for me the most memorable thing would be uh, the thesis grade that i got which i'm actually very proud of so yeah okay okay interesting so uh, how was this uh, did they uh, conduct a virtual ceremony or thing something like that for yeah, after the yeah this year it was a virtual ceremony actually and uh, we had to go pick up our uh, certificates later or they would post it to our address hmm. great uh thank you so much nikita for sharing all your insights of working uh, studying in germany and uh, uh, addressing all the minute questions uh, asked by us thank you so much uh, for being part of this podcast and thank you so much for listening to this podcast if you like this episode then you must also check out our other episodes available here and follow us here so that you don't miss out a new episode thank you and thanks for having me yeah thank you oh, yes yeah.